Welcome back to the Unanimous Decision Podcast. I am your host, Deepalm. Follow me on Twitter at Deepalm66. Follow the show on Twitter at UDPod. Follow the entire MTR network at, you guessed it, the MTR network. You found us. Don't you dare lose us. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts for absolutely free 99. We're coming to you on the week of Thanksgiving. I hope you're not traveling. I hope you are staying in place and, and not endangering all of us but if you are i know you're sick of not arguing with someone so i'm going to sit here for an hour and yell about things and you're going to feel a little bit more at home if only to be joined by your idiot cousin who talks through your phone but i'm not alone all those words rhyme i didn't mean to do it i'm very good at this i'm not alone i'm here with uh, one of my best friends in the world the best man in my wedding the homie mike what's up mike Thanks for having me back. I, too, would like to argue about things. It is Thanksgiving week after all. You know, everyone says that, and that's the trope. And, yeah, there's some arguments. Like, I have an uncle who is a Cowboys fan. Like, that's a problem. But, like, the the big divisions at the dinner table, like, that they talk about, like, they. And I say, you know who I mean when I say they. <laughs> they want to talk about politics. I'm like, why not? My parents and I are aligned. <laughs> Where do you think I got these politics? <laughs> We have a united front on this. I I, why is there a dissension in your house? Like, every time I see someone complaining about that, I'm like, huh, you just let that shit fly in your area, huh? And, like, you're even by, like, asking for the sympathy, you're tacitly acknowledging that, like, okay, normally I would let this fly. But now it feels weird, too. Couldn't be me. I got Sorry. All right, so let's get into it. Um, last time we were talking about sports, the one, the episode prior to our Miles Morales Spider-Man interview, we were leading into Gucci versus Jeezy on Versus. And before I get into the questions I've got, I do want to point something out. Versus did better numbers in the Billboard Music Awards, the AMAs, and like, a, like they did 9.1 million viewers across platforms, Mike. See, I only saw the Instagram viewers, and it like peaked at like 1.6 something right. million. They had the Apple nine, viewers and they had the Versus app itself. This wasn't even the best one. That's amazing. But this is a definite. This is a an, this is a statement about your Atlanta. city could never, never, ever, ever, ever. Capture the attention, the imagination, and the the, the the devotion of a world like Atlanta could. And that's not even the best we got. That might be the best verses we get. Because best verses. there were a lot of people tuning in, myself included, anticipating real deal, actual factual violence. And there were a lot of people who don't know the story back there, I'm not going to go through all of it right now because who really needs to hear it again? But I will say this. It was very interesting that there were certain people who came in and saying, wow, Jeezy really is taking the high road here. Gucci's saying all these terrible things to his face. <laughs> and Jeezy's taking the high road here. Look. Just Google it. And you tell me who's taking what high roads. Because, Mike, 
I will say that Jeezy probably musically won that battle, but that's not why Gucci was there. Oh yeah, that that was uh, inconsequential to him. It was an afterthought at best. And uh, yeah, it was it was something to behold. And I will say this: if you are even like kind of aware of the ins and outs of a win here, the ending is what gets me because. Yes, Gucci played some big disrespectful songs about Jeezy, but he also said, like, he spoke into a microphone, feet away from this man, calling him things that will start a fist fight in most rooms. You knew what it was going to be when Gucci wouldn't sit down. He played truth, man. He played truth next to the dude the song's about. Which must be a pretty unique opportunity <laughs> for a rapper. I thought about it that way. I mean, if you have that opportunity, don't you have to take it? <laughs> how can, how can you not to perform ether in front of Jay-Z? <laughs> Even if the beef has been squashed. You kind of got to do it, right? Especially when it's been squashed. really funny. Man. It is, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But the craziest part for me of all of it, not the tension. The tension was expected. Not the excitement of the world. We're from Atlanta. We know how you love us. It was the ending. And not the COVID party at Complex. These two motherfuckers performed Icy together for the first time ever. And now I've got to ask myself, did I just get pro wrestling? Was that all a work? Was the heat coming from, because, you know, Gucci pacing, not sitting down, not taking off his jacket, like maybe there's something in his jacket he wants to hide, was all very suspect. <laughs> like, it, like, like, serious nervous energy, or like, like watching between your fingers, like in a horror movie or some shit. But the. It couldn't have all been a work. Like some of the things Gucci were saying offended me, and I'm not cheesy. You know, I can't even be mad. I'm just impressed. You know, they had the tension. I, I don't think I've experienced a tension watching something like that in in a while. I haven't been in a place. I haven't been anywhere in a while, honestly. Fucking COVID. Um, but I've been in a place where the threat of physical violence is enough. Like. There were places you could go in Atlanta in the late to mid 2000s where a certain song would play and you'd be like, we should probably go. Right. And Or a series, like the song you're thinking of, that or one of its 20 cousins. Yes, that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all, some of it was regional, some of it was not, because not if you, oh my goodness. Anyway, this gave me those vibes. It was very, it was a very, I'm 35, I'm old, I'm washed, I'm retired. But it took me back to a time when I was younger and reckless, but not reckless enough to get involved in such shenanigans. <laughs> it was a fun evening from a distance. Um, all right, next up on the docket, we're going to talk about college football. I know what you're thinking. Deep home, you're not watching college football. And you're damn right I'm not watching college football. I've got a soul. I'm just kidding. I'm not judging anyone. But I am keeping my ear to the college football streets. 
And it seems that the world has reached a conclusion that I could have told you about years ago. Jim Harbaugh must go to Michigan. And it's not because Michigan should be better than this. It's just because they shouldn't be embarrassing. Um, this has been going on for years. It was for years. It was you heard about how Jim Harbaugh came out and he was a offensive guru. He had taken the Niners to the Super Bowl, and not only that, he'd done so with Colin Kaepernick, and he was a quarterback whisperer. Every quarterback who's gone to Ann Arbor since he got there has gotten appreciably worse. Bo Nix at Ole Miss was exciting. He made Bo Nix boring. Not Bo Nix. Oh, oh Bo Nix is at Auburn now. Excuse me. Shea Patterson. I don't know why I got those mixed up, but it's very funny that I did. He made Shea Patterson boring as hell. I used to love watching Shea, man. He made him boring as hell. And for that reason, that alone, he should have been fired before now. But if he's getting out the paint right now, I'm okay with it. It's going to be really interesting, Mike, because what's happened is they bottomed out that Michigan job. So before it was him, it was um, it was a Charlie oh no, Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame. They had Rich Rod, which was the, they brought the guy in from Michigan or from West Virginia, didn't work out. And now you know because they're just Michigan, they're quote unquote Michigan men, they're going to end up hiring their Scott Frost. And by that I mean a name that's going to sound good from their past, but doesn't actually translate to the current landscape. They're going to hire less Miles. And while I think the guy eating grass is good in big-time college football, I don't think it's a solution for this program that has fallen so far behind Ohio State that I think they're keeping Harbaugh on just to lose to them again. <laughs> like, why sully the new guy's record with this L? Or even a temp guy, why sully the interim with this massive L they're about to hold from Ohio State and Justin Fields, who should be playing in Georgia but isn't because racism? The other news in college football involves my least favorite coach of all time. And I've been doing the rankings. I've been thinking about it. Holy shit, Dabo Swinney. Now, a lot of you don't follow college football, and that's great. Good for you. Probably for the best. Dabo Swinney is one of the worst people in sports because we can go through his litany of things he's done wrong. But this weekend, Dabo Swinney's Clemson Tigers traveled to Florida State to play Florida State. And after the two medical staffs met, conferred, and compared notes, they could not agree that they should play the game. The Clemson attack was immediate and fierce, including quarterback Trevor Lawrence, he who coined the let them play campaign, who also missed three games with COVID, said, this wasn't about the virus, bro. And because this is 2020, everyone thought the teenager was right. <laughs> However, he did it wrong. He was wrong. Because, remind you here, the first job of a college football coach, before winning games, before recruits, and Davos when he's forgotten this, is that I will take care of your children and make sure no harm comes to them. Because all week, Dabo Swinney had a symptomatic player practicing at Clemson. That same player traveled to Florida State with them. Florida State said, no, we're not playing. I bring, I don't bring this up, but I want to bring up something that happened 
on the internet, which no one cares about. And I'm, I, I apologize for bringing it up. But I got into a little back and forth with Tim Brando from Fox Sports a couple weeks ago. And he said, we shouldn't be talking about cancellation. We shouldn't be talking about protocols. We should be celebrating the games. I said, hey, man, these kids have no advocate. If you with the big voice don't say something for them, no one's protecting them. He went on to say the kids want this, da, 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 all the bullshit you hear. And I said, cool, are you ready to do reporting next fall on the long-term health implications of the players who played this fall? He pontificated, he spouted, he tried to misdirect. He never answered the direct question. We're talking about a virus that has so far killed 256,000 Americans. FSU pulled a player with a runny nose. But Clemson had proof. This player was symptomatic all week who tested positive that Saturday. He tested positive on game day. And trust me, it's a weird look to see a college football game canceled three, three hours before you kick. I understand that. But for Clemson and Dabo to paint FSU as ducking them as FSU is trying to reschedule what will be a 50-point loss. It's further proof that the disingenuity, it's not unique among college football coaches, but it is special in Dabo Swinney. He's the same guy who said that if kids were ever paid to play, that he would walk away because some things have to have integrity. Go look up Dabo's salary. But on top of, you know, putting the blame on FSU, he exposed his entire team and staff for an additional three to four days since the player first started showing symptoms. Yep. I mean, as if this isn't going to have an effect on whoever they're going to play next week and the week after. I mean, this is a mess of his own making. Did you hear what he said the day about FSU? No. Oh, I got to see if I can find a printed out version of it. Uh, here we go. I'm not very worried about what they say down in Tallahassee. I've been here 18 years. They've had three coaches in four years. I'm not worried about advice from down in Tallahassee. Well, that's just an unnecessary low blow. That's well, this is the thing. Really this, is all, this is always going to happen. This was the problem with college football. This is the reason I've been so loud and so annoying about this from the jump. There's no one in charge. There's no union. There's no – who's the commissioner of college football? I'll wait. There's no one to follow on. So it's fallen on individual schools, ADs, and presidents to make decisions about the best welfare of the teams, nay, the campus, because these are not bubbled teams. So what looks like a story – of Florida State not wanting to get their teeth kicked in, suddenly becomes a story of Davo Swinney's ability, willingness, and desire to endanger not just the Clemson, South Carolina community at large by not dealing with infected player, but in spreading that contagion to not just the Florida State football team, but no, the fans, because there are no restrictions in Florida. Sorry. And all the students on campus too. 
Well, the contractor wanted to win a fucking football game. So you can say that, oh, you take his side in the paying players. Cool, you're a garbage person, whatever. You can say that when he says things about not speaking out against police brutality is, is, is you know, his prerogative as a coach, whatever. It's football lives matter horseshit. Yeah, that, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about this. Tell me about this. Find someone who doesn't call themselves a Clemson fan defending this. You can't. And to put the little cherry on the shit Sunday that is the college football season, as of 7.30 p.m. yesterday, the SEC has continued to shuffle games. The Arkansas-Missouri game was postponed due to a combination of positive tests. And now Vanderbilt will be playing Missouri because it's a rescheduling of a game that was postponed on October 17th. Tennessee-Vanderbilt game was postponed for the purpose of facilitating the rescheduling of the Vanderbilt-Missouri game. And now it looks like, oh, we don't have that yet. So it looks like they're good. they might be doing A&M versus Tennessee, which is a game that was moved on the from the 14th because of COVID contact tracings within the Aggies program. Oh, wait, no, that's been rescheduled for December 12th. What I'm trying to say, this was all a mistake. The, I, all of it. And Mike, can you remind the people at home why we're doing this? <laughs> uh, we're in a global pandemic that this country is hardly addressing. No, 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 no. I mean, why are we playing college football? Oh, money, clearly. Oh, so money for the players, right? Good. That's at least they're getting paid, right? In uh, an education, sure. Wait, no, no. You, you can't buy Chalupas with an education. I don't know why I chose Chalupas. But I did. It's ridiculous. It's horrible. It's gross. And what's happening now to college football is what's happening to the NFL because smart people are starting to pay attention. And that's always the scariest thing for football is when smart people start paying attention, which is not a great sign for your sport in general. Um, because we all remember what happened the last time smart people paid attention, concussion settlements happened. And they're still fighting that shit. Well, now. Smart people are asking questions about the NFL's testing protocols. Because we know that the NFL tests every player before a game on Saturday morning. Those tests are usually available back Saturday night, Sunday morning. So why are so many players pulled from practice and team activities Monday and Tuesday following a game? There's been a lot of good reporting about this. And what I've gleaned is that it's by design. You can say it by any other name, but when you're doing the second test, which is mandated to make sure it wasn't a false positive, that second test can't be expedited because of the travel restrictions. Well, it almost feels like a plan, Mike, or am I just being too much tinfoil hat here? No, just the right amount of tinfoil hat. <laughs> Dude, they pulled, um, they pulled our buddy, the running back for the Ravens, this today from practice. They pulled two running, or excuse me, Monday, they pulled two running backs and a no-sackle who've been in close contact. And more Ravens positive are popping up. This is notable because the Ravens are scheduled to play football on Thursday. So it just seems very short-sighted for the league. You're going to 
deplete your talent by letting them get this virus that has unknown physical consequences for the rest of their lives? I mean, I don't see, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're questioning. Have you met the NFL? <laughs> Fair, but you know, you got to remember, this is a league that won't publicize what's happening. We've got a, a running back in Jacksonville who has not, who's put two stints on the IR and is still in the hospital with this stuff. Um, Tommy Sweeney will be out the Titan for the Bills. He'll be out the remainder of the season after a cardiologist discovered he has myocarditis, a condition connected to COVID-19. And I can make some intellectual peace with NFL players collectively bargaining the auspices under which they will continually and explicitly and increasingly risk their health. I feel very bad for Tommy Sweeney. I hope he gets much better. I know he'll get the best medical care possible. I know he will because it's been fucking legally negotiated. But I got Tim Brandos of the world telling me, well, the kids want to play. The kids want to play, Mike. Let them play, Mike. Clearly they're in charge. And they pivot to this, well, they're young and they're strong and there's nothing to worry about. Tommy Sweeney is an NFL football player. He's a tight end. I don't know if you heard, most of those kids in college won't go pro in football. So we're endangering the children to make money for people who don't care if they get sick. I just wanted to say it out loud. I'm getting updated. Uh, I'm clicking on updated stories. Looks like the Ravens positives are up to five players and four staffers. Oof. So the NFL says there's no change in status at Thursday night's game. And now, when you lose enough players, what point does it become dangerous to have these unexperienced or unqualified or unprepared players in the field? If Calais Campbell can't play um, for a third week with a calf injury, the Ravens will be without three starters in their front seven. Ooh. And they're I playing like the 10-0 Steelers. Because if you've got an experienced guy in there, the other guys have to overcompensate, which puts them overexing themselves, puts them in a position to be injured. I ask again rhetorically, what are we doing? And why can't we stop? And the answer to both is money. And I get that. I'm being rhetorical and annoying. And I apologize. But I think I'm right. What will the NFL do? We're never going to stretch into that mythical week 18. That's not going to happen. Erase that thought. Will the NFL make these teams play with substandard squads? Or will they light money on fire and just not play the games? Hulum's gone, guys. They never had a plan, and now we're seeing what happens. Um, speaking of no plan, Cincinnati Bengals drafted Joe Burrow. They did not get him any offensive linemen. Consequently, Joe Burrow's tore up his MCL, ACL, and other structural damage in his left knee on Sunday. Um, ugly hit, one of the worst you could see. Was, I, I just I feel for the kid. He's he tweeted out um 
see you next year. You're going to have to work harder than that to get rid of me, which is a great attitude for the quarterback and the leader and a kid to, to display. But Mike, ooh, buddy, don't be a bangle, huh? It's a lot of rehab. That's a, that's a very that's a lot of rehab. That is a fair statement. That is a very fair statement. Um, yeah, between like injuries and some of the quality of play stuff, and the fact that we were the worst division in the history of football in the NFC East, and I'm not kidding about that. Like, go through the numbers; it's the worst division ever. I gotta ask you, Mike. I know that the networks got first rider refusal when Monday Night Football went to uh, ESPN. It was the smart way to do it. It was the only way to make the networks happy being bumped to Sunday night. But um. They sure do love sticking Monday night with some shitty games, man. Yeah, I don't think I've watched any this season. Well, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating. Let's see what we're talking about here. The Sunday night game, two weeks, or week 10, was Baltimore-New England. It was in the rain, but it was a good game. I remember that game. It was fun. Yeah, I remember watching that. The Monday night game was Minnesota-Chicago. I can't think of a time in the last 10 years that was a good game. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's being serious. Let's look. Let's look at this passing. Maybe I'm being crazy. Ooh, Sunday Night Football, Kansas City at Las Vegas. Man, the Raiders. They beat them the first time. It's a good 35-31. Good swinging. Let's see what the Monday Night game was. The Rams and the Bucks. Decided by a Tom Brady overthrow. I suppose. Well, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I, this, two weeks is not a pattern. It's just a happenstance. Let's see what's we got for this week. You know, Turkey Day, all the big, ooh, Sunday night, Green Bay and Chicago, rivalry game, the Monsters of the Midway, taking on the pack. I'd love to see it. Monday night, Seattle and Philly. And I don't know how much NFL you're watching, but Philadelphia is, like, comically bad. Aren't they leading the, uh, because they have a tie. <laughs> Details. I, they're winning, aren't they? Like, but they also like as a city hate their quarterback. How is every team after he wins? You guys are pathetic. Grow up, NFC East. One time for me. Uh, Monday Night Football this past week. It wasn't much fun to watch, but it did feature our first ever all-black officiating crew. The NFL put out a statement saying that they're very well spoken and articulate. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Don't, no, one, no one repeat that. I wasn't sure it was mean. But it's also true, like, guys, like, yes, the NFL didn't make a big thing about it, but the fact that anyone made anything about it shows you how embarrassing it truly is because it is 2020. I had to read the headline twice. I was like, really? This hasn't happened Just yet? by accident? Right. Statistically. Just random. Just the, the assignments didn't work. How many, how many times are they all white crew, huh? I'll wait. Count those. And in the shadow of this all-black officiating crew, in 2020, I have one question for you, Mike. Where's Colin Kaepernick, man? Working out. I'm watching, a lot of, I'm watching a lot of bad quarterbacks get hurt. I watched the dude whose job he took in San Francisco starting games for the Washington football team. The dude who job he took and is now on a structurally reconstituted leg-like substance, like, you know, they call it like chicken nuggets, chicken-like substance. That's what Alex Smith's leg is. It's a leg-like substance. 
He is starting football games. Everyone in the stands is nervous when he takes a snap. And you're telling me, you're telling me, Colin can't get a workout? I'll wash it after my boy Burroughs. I'm watching what's happening with Matt Ryan. We'll get to it, I promise. Where's Colin? There, there are teams with no wins, one win. They have nothing to lose. They can't take a chance. If the Jacksonville Jaguars had signed Colin Kaepernick for years ago, they could have a Super Bowl ring. They were that good that year. But they sat with Blake fucking Bortles and lost to the Patriots in, in the championship uh, game. And they've been rat ass ever since. Now, with Gardner Minshew, they're one and nine. They're not even breaking the Falcon line. <laughs> Which would also be leading the NFC East, by the way. For the, everyone's giggling at home. Ha. Too soon, too soon. Well, it is what it is. And let's do this because we have to do this because one of the reasons you texted me even this, this week at all. St. Louis Rams rolled out their shitty gadget bullshit quarterback and beat the Falcons a lot to a little. Saints. Who did I say? The Rams. Whatever. The Saints. I can't even say their team's name. I hate them so much. Mike. Did you watch it? No. Are you kidding? I watched parts of it. Because I could, because, and I'm glad I did because the stats for the kid are one thing. But watching it happen, like, there's a play that was, I watched it rewritten in real time. Oh, I saw the throw, the under throw. Oh, my God. He threw the quarterback at the top of the route, first of all. He flung a man 10 yards to the direction, which is offensive pass interference, which is a thing, unlike defensive pass interference, which has never occurred. What up, Mike Felder? Um, I mean, I enjoy it from the offset. It looks like he threw the ball as hard as he could. That, and then, you know, you pan to the receiver, and it's still like – He's running five a good yards. five yards back to go catch that football. <laughs> And everyone's like, he read the coverage in short on I'm like, what are you talking about? This is not as hard <laughs> as he could. Taysom Hill, are you fucking serious? Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 yards. 30 picks. No one's denying that. He threw 50 touchdowns. I hope somehow this just makes the Saints overconfident in him. And then just all collapses when they realize he's not actually that good. I hope James refuses to go in. <laughs> I hope some shit like you just said happens. And they're like, James, you need to be like, fuck you very much. <laughs> Excuse me, James? I'm not his backup. I'll back up Drew Brees. Fuck this kid. Who I'm pretty sure is older than James. What are we doing? Oh, so stupid, New Orleans. And if this makes you hold on to him and think he's the future then sacrifices had to be made. But I don't think they're that dumb, Mike. <laughs> Look, I got to find some potential joy out this NFL season. Well, uh, you won't find it in Atlanta, my friend. You will not find it in Atlanta. But where you might find it is in the flood, the avalanche, the burying that has been NBA news. Because the NBA silly season is always fun, but this silly season was ex- accelerated. 
feels like we had tra uh, trade allowance, draft, and free agency in about eight days. And as you pointed out in pre-show, I don't think it was eight whole days. I think it was less than that, but I'm not entirely sure. My head's still spinning. Like, we can't do this every year because, obviously, pandemic and everything else. But, but we can <laughs> because it was highly entertaining. I don't think it's safe. I, I don't – it was. it's been very entertaining. I'm not going to lie to you there. You're not wrong. But I'm not entirely sure it's good for my health for this to continue happening. I mean, were the GMs even sleeping? Jeez. You know they made a bunch of money? Cocaine dealers this week. Um, <laughs> right, I'm not going to go on my GM right. Um, let's start with the biggest story that still hasn't actually landed yet. So Mike D'Antoni left the Houston Rockets to go be the lead assistant for – Steve Nash in Brooklyn, which uh, good luck, Steve. Um, Jesus. And the GM Daryl Morey left to take a sabbatical for about seven days. Then he signed with the Philadelphia 76ers, where he, he performed actual miracles to the point where I may be in the process. You signed Aaron Al Horford's contract? Yeah. That's fucking magic. It's magic. Man. Oh. So they're both out in Houston. And now the two guards who have been very vocal about not liking playing together this year through the intermediaries in the athletic and Gene Wojnowski, um, Adrian Wojnowski were respectively, they both want out. And it sounds like Harden's trying to force his way to Brooklyn. Do it. Do it. Okay, so you're saying do it. From what seat are you yelling do it? I need to be very clear to people listening. Me not being the biggest Harden fan and just wanting to see chaos. I guess okay, this is so, me as like chaotic evil. Okay, fair enough. So it's not an interest in watching compelling basketball. No. <laughs> Most decidedly not. Thank you for clarifying. Um, look, the only way you get to Brooklyn is to trade him for Kyrie. But that takes all the fun. I need to it see them call all the fun out of it. You're not wrong about that. Like, if they were to make this happen, does anyone think this is a good idea? Like, when Steve Nat, when when Kyrie said that quote of, you know, some days I'll be the coach, some days Jock Vaughn will be the coach, we really have a head coach. Like, I felt bad for Steve Nash then. This shit? Look, Steve, you can quit. You can leave. Go announce somewhere, man. Go be a GM, assistant GM, one of the job. Because this year, there, there are too many bad dynamics. Like the last time Harden played with uh, KD, you know, Harden was coming into his own. He was still like a six man or, you know, coming no, up on becoming dude. a star. He was a bitch dude. Yeah. But now he's not really going to take that role. And, you know, KD's not going to take that role. KD's still KD. But I feel like Harden's okay. going to expect a KD's little. KD's still KD with an asterisk because we do not know what it looks like post Achilles. But KD to KD is still KD. Agreed. Hard but... agreed. I'm just saying that, like, I have caveats on what I'm willing to put on the KD trade right now. It's a tough injury. It's a tough injury. Yeah, but I'm just saying the coexistence, the coexistence for them, is the problem. You're right. not, not going to work. Kyrie, who, you know, really good with. With the ball, but uh, well, let's, let's be really real about this. Those are two guys in Kyrie and James Harden who will dribble the ball through the court if you let them. 
Oh, and yeah. that's how they prefer to play. Yep. And so I think that Kyrie's game this past year was, I'm going to establish myself as the alpha guy, so Kevin has to be second coming in here. If they bring – that's my other question. Do you think like, – Kevin may want this. Do you think Kyrie actually wants this? Do you think this is what we're like, Kyrie's like, yeah, we should do that? Probably. Doesn't he think the <laughs> earth is flat? I mean <laughs> – no, he was trolling us to see how he could think us, he'd make us talk about. Okay, sure. I believe so. It. <laughs> oh man, so stupid. And now like Houston's doing things like they signed to Boogie Cousins to a one-year deal. Yep. Like why? Don't get on this day. <laughs> I. Oh, I like the coach. They got Paul Silas' kid as the coach. I just don't know what the plan is there, man. Um, let's go to the Lakers. Because there's one thing I didn't notice this offseason. A lot of these motherfuckers went east. And the narrative will convert to LeBron's winning a depleted west. As soon as he came to his own in the east, where'd everybody go? West, Chuck, man. Go west. Can we say LeBron depleted the west? I mean, can we just say that? I, LeBron tends to deplete teams that aren't on LeBron's team. Mathematically, like you look at the teams that like were like the challengers. Remember the Celtics? Remember the Bulls? Remember the Pacers? The Raptors? All those times. The Celtics again. He got two different. He has beaten down in the East two different iterations of the Celtics. That's hilarious to me. And now. Before they've re-signed AD, which we all know is coming, they've added across the hall Montrez Harrell, reigning sixth man of the year. Mike, what are the Clippers doing? I just I don't I don't understand. How how? How? You can't and let Harrell in the news say like it doesn't seem like the Clippers wanted me back. Yeah, well. <laughs> and, he, and he had a disappointing bubble season, but he also coming off the death of his grandmother, who was his best friend. This was the size that they were touting as their backup line. And we're going to talk about the Clippers in a second, because this is not all the Lakers did. They didn't just add Montrez Harrell and say, oh, we're good to go. They continued the tradition of paying Gazal boys, Mark Gazal, Laker. And you're saying to yourself, okay, they lose Boogie, they lose Dwight, um, they lose JaVale, they're replacing with size. Well, they lost Avery Bradley, too. You know they brought in? Man, dear, dear to my heart, because he's real. Oh, he's paid to watch the man play basketball. Schroeder, baby. I believed in Schroeder. And as Rondo heads to Atlanta, which we will talk about later, Atlanta might be making some uh, some noise. A little, uh, someone cares. I think someone in Atlanta cares. I'll, that I think that's far. Someone in Atlanta gives a shit, which is all I can ask for. Um, yeah. They got. My man, did you ever like him as a hawk? Yeah, I did. You're not as excited as I am. I maybe I maybe my my excitement. No, I'm just too. like disbelief that the the league collectively let the best team get better. I mean, they picked up Wesley Matthews too. I was like Wesley just, Matthews pitching up here. Yeah, and the thing is, all four of those are decent signings. You put the four together and you see what they're doing. Like there's a say what you will about the difference between Schroeder and Rondo, 
one of them at this stage in their career is willing to get to the foul line. Rondo's a great player, right. and I have a big, I'm a big fan of Rondo, but he doesn't drive anymore because he can't shoot free throws, and Schroeder will. And I think that watching him play off the ball last year in Oklahoma City gives me faith to what he could do in a unit where maybe he's the two, Caruso's running one, and LeBron slides to three. He gives them a pretty the, solid the biggest second win here. They got, like, mobile bigs so that they can coexist with Anthony Davis. That was one of the biggest yeah. – you're not talking about during the finals. A matchup problem was because you couldn't play he and Dwight together because Dwight clogged the goddamn lane. But with Harrell, uh, they ran back Markeith Morris, who shot, I believe, it was 43% from three in the playoffs last year. And you got Marc Gasol, who they're betting on saying is was not what we saw out of his bill of performance, which I believe is true. This is like – y'all let the Lakers like, – I'm not a Lakers fan. I'm a LeBron James fan. But the idiots around me, the Lakers fans, y'all gave them everything to work with. I don't want to tell you. KCP is back. And, yes, and for those of you keeping track at home, uh, Mark Harrell is a clutch client. <laughs> the Los Angeles clutch continues. KCP got a three-year $40 million deal. Because get that money, KCP earned it in the finals. like to see it. And now you look at, across the hall and stable, you're like, oh, what are y'all doing? Like, Steve Ballmer's about to figure out why they're the Clippers, man. Because no one wants to play with y'all. No one wants to play with Kawhi living in San Diego, late to everything all the time. And guess what? Every team's got a player that's late to a lot of shit. For a long time, it was LeBron James. Spoilers. But no one talks about it because that's generally your best player. When other players are talking about it, like the Clippers are now, that's when shit's a problem. And Paul George, the invisible man, who wants to play with that? <laughs> they brought in Serge Ibaka to nominally replace some of the minutes for Montrezl Harrell. I think Montrezl Harrell's a better basketball player, but Ibaka might bring them more than they need defensively. I appreciate that, though with the backups they've got in L.A., you don't need him to be defensive anymore. Um, they still don't have a point guard. They don't have anyone create their own shot. What are the do you do you and we joked earlier like we'll share Clippers fan friends, but there's no love, there's no hope here. Yeah, I mean they made their bed when they did that uh deal to bring in Paul George and Kawhi. They're gonna have to stick with it. They stayed with Marcus Morris. I just, oh man, that's, that is, uh, that's not great. And then, like, as I stopped looking at the, the the Clippers and the Lakers and the rest of the Western Conference, I'm like, wait, where did everybody go, first of all? Second of all, fucking Clay Thompson, man. Yeah. He just got healthy. Just Hadn't got healthy. NBA game in so long, and now he's out for another And it's year. not like, and, and that's the thing about, like, of all the guys that could happen to, and you, you hear it echoed around the league. This is one of those guys who just happens to love basketball. He loves shooting threes. He loves playing with his dog. He loves smoking weed. Those are three things we know about Clay Thompson. And most of us have been taken away from right now. Probably can play with his dog. And he can't play basketball again. We won't see him on a basketball court until probably, what, early 2022? I guess. I mean. We haven't seen him on a basketball know. court, Mike, since May 2019. Oof. And when I put it and, like that, I put it like this. 
that Warriors window might be Dunsky. Like you and I talked on this podcast last year that giving Draymond that money was a statement that said, we're not building for the future. This is our window. We don't believe it's closed. Yeah, the rest of the league has changed a bunch since, you know, their first championship, and they haven't really, you know, made moves to adapt at all. Well, that's uh, the thing that, is that people, I think one of the reasons that it's hard to appreciate is, one, the run start was before the championship. The run started under Mark Jackson. And, two, I think at the time we saw Kevin Durant's addition to the Warriors as a luxury. Like, they pimped your ride by putting Facebook on your Facebook. But this, it's kind of feeling more like Kevin Durant was a necessity. As you look at how the league changed around that team and adjusted to how they were changing the math on basketball. Because you no longer needed a player on your team who could create on his own. You had this system. But as players studied and broke the system, you and you saw it in the playoff runs where they'd be like, Kevin, time. Let's go. And, you know, Kevin Durant got tired of that shit being called on only when needed, which is why he was going to force his way out before he tore his Achilles. And now, like, quietly, Steph's not – Steph looks young. Steph's not young. Steph Curry's 32, man. And not like a LeBron 32, like a, a wafy 32. He's a small 32. Yeah, he already had ankle issues. He already had injuries. LeBron never had injuries until Draymond's 30. And his game's not going to age well. Yeah, aging as an undersized for your position is a... Is not a great future for yourself. Clay's 30. And the next time we see him in an NFL, in an NBA game, excuse me, will be three years removed from his last performance on the court. And they gave all that money to Clay, and they gave all that money to Dre, and they gave all that money to Steph, saying that you guys are our window, and we just paid $2 billion for this arena. To the point where Lakeham's trying to get, like, 10% capacity seating just so he can make some money this, <laughs> this season. Give it up. And I'm not, I shouldn't be laughing because it's not funny. It's fucked up what's happened to the Warriors. But it's also super interesting to me because – both historically and historically it makes sense. You're not supposed to be able to make runs of eight to ten years. That's not that doesn't happen. Your run windows generally five to six. They got some they got three rings out of it. That's a great run. Five finals appearances. It it casts in greater relief how terrifyingly good the last 19 years LeBron James has been. Because these guys, like Clay's injuries. Uh, KD's injury, those are Miles injuries. Those are, yeah. we played 100 games three years in a row, and my body broke down. Meanwhile, in LA, this fucking cyborg's 36 and just walked away with the finals MVP. One injury in 19 years. Am I crazy? Nope. You know, watching the Warriors window close the way it did and after they literally changed basketball 
it gives me a better appreciation one for LeBron, but also for Jordan. Like this is some when you're on that high level and everyone's gunning for you, it's it is hard to stay there. And as much as Joe Lincoln wanted to say we're light years ahead of the competition, sometimes man, you're just not because guess what? That competition running too, man. And I don't know if they know their windows closed, but I do believe it is. Gordon Hayward, we're going to the East now where everyone's run. Two two teams I want to talk about. First team is the Milwaukee Bucks. And I haven't asked you about this. If you are Giannis and they bring you Drew Holiday, and then they fail to bring you Bogdanovich, which is hilarious to me, do you have renewed faith to sign that Supermax? I mean, I'm really happy about uh, the holiday pickup, to be honest. Okay. Um, it, it's it's tough. Like they, it seems like they position themselves like heavy on we're gonna win in the next few years with the, you know, they dealt away some draft picks and things like that. Um, and it seems like they're hoping and uh, playing it as if Giannis is going to sign the Supermax, but I don't know. They brought in Bobby Portis, DJ Augustine. Um, he's still in the league. And I think that this was a much better staying position if they landed Bogdanovich. And that is going to result in some – someone's going to get fined and or strip things because of that deal. Um, there's going to be a sign-in trade the Bucks and Kings had agreed to on uh, last Tuesday, and no one asked Bogdanovich. He was like, I'm opting out. And he got money from the Atlanta Hawks. So I, I – and I look at – and I'm not just looking at the holiday thing because I think you're right. Holiday is probably a better signing than giving credit for. They gave up a lot to get holiday. They gave up basically the Anthony Davis trade to get holiday. Bobby Portis, TJ Augustine, none of this says to me that you're ready to build for my future. This feels like first-run LeBron when they're bringing in, like, old-ass um, Shaq and Antoine Jameson. <laughs> wow. You know Forgot what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's, but it's like, we got you some guys whose names you know. And you're like, oh, guys, come on. Like, Drew Holiday is the ability to make his own shot, to create his own shot, excuse me, which no one else in the Bucks had last year, including us. So I'm excited about that. Um, you know, like it's it's tough for me. It's tough for me to see what the plan is there because the plan appears to continue to be lean on Giannis. And the real question, honestly, like if I want to get really real about this, what do we do about the coach? Oh, yeah, that's definitely. I, I love him. He's the Hawks coach. Like this is one of my favorite coaches in the league. But um, – we all watched that Heat series. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't mm. That was their series to lose. And lose it, they did. Even with Gian, yeah. you know, even with Giannis out. Even with Giannis out. They lost a game two by two. Lost, they won game four by three. Like, these were close games that I might say came down to coaching. His refusal to change their tactics in the postseason or even address mismatches of such it's always been one of the things I love about Bud that he's he, he's like I got a plan I'm sticking to it god damn it but 
it felt it's one of the reasons not one of the reasons the reason was the run one of the reasons the, the hawks got swept in the uh, eastern conference finals by the Cavs that year there was no plan for lebron and part of it was one of our players getting his leg broken by the nypd but part of it was that that he literally believes that the system will prevail and i thought that a couple of years of coaching Giannis would teach him that you know sometimes you need to bend the system or let your star bend it for you and i don't see it yet and that worries me because if you've deemed that you've done the best roster-wise you can, he's got to feel the pressure because the next move is him. Mike, what happened to Gordon Hayward? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I, it makes sense from his perspective, I think. Uh, he wasn't really... Oh, he, had to to be... he, he had to leave Boston. Boston was never going to work. Yeah. But why wouldn't you go to Indiana? I don't know. He went to Seems... Butler, man. Come be a god. Come be a god. Maybe maybe get Old Depot to stay. But no, Gordon Hayward's headed to Charlotte to play with Michael Jordan. Play for Michael Jordan, I should say. Um... Did you see the uh, the Zach Lowe uh, tweet? Gordon Hayward uh, got a phone call from Michael Jordan telling him he wanted him, and he said he remembered them coming after him in his free agency in 2014. And someone retweeted that and said, man remembers when one time you tried to give him money, he did not accept it. Now that you offered him more money, he's chosen to accept it. Like, <laughs> I love how you can spin those conversations to like, this is a story about how we got here. No, it's not. It was a job interview. You didn't offer enough money the first time. Right. Or you can tell after one of the two. Um, it's just wild to I me. Mean, I just I Gordon Hayward's gonna be fine in Charlotte. I think it's an interesting team. Uh the ball kid going there. It's his team now. And uh though the Charlotte natives, if you know Charlotte a little bit, it's gonna be interesting to see who gets dubbed the, the, the leader of that team because uh Yeah. There were some loud voices cheering for the other guy every year Cam Newton started. There were Jake DeLome jerseys in the stands for a reason, and it's going to be super interesting to see how embracing they are of Mellow versus uh, Mellow Ball versus uh, Gordon Hayward plays the right way. I would talk more about the draft class, but with no March Madness, these incoming rookies are nobodies to me. Mike, do you know anything about any of them? Nope, not really. <laughs> I love the honesty. Yeah, I, I watch as much college, men's college basketball as you do. It's true. It's true. It's uh, it is, uh, it is uh, not good. So we don't watch it. And I apologize for you guys because uh, we just don't do it. I, if you miss free, if you miss layups, I don't have to watch. That's my rule, and uh, that's why I watch women's college basketball because they don't miss their layups. Cause they're very good at that sport. Uh, want to talk for a second about the best coach in in, in college basketball history. The one-man stimulus package, Coach Cal. <laughs> Just this offseason. Uh, Davis will collect $200 million contract plus. Carlton Towns, 190 Murray, 170 Wall, 170 Bam out of bio, 168 up to 200 DeAndre Fox, 163 to, to 195 Booker, 158 Bledsoe, 70 Knight, 70 Ennis Kanker got 70 Julius Randle got 63 Boogie got 62, and MKG got 52. Look, man, what's going on, baby? 
Cal will get you paid. And that's the job. Oh, the job was to, to win games and build character. Different sport. When you are a top flight recruit and you go to a coach, you're tacitly saying, I'm going to help you. You're going to help me. And you're not going to help me by teaching me the student body left and squaring my feet and, and sliding across the floor and slapping the ground. You're going to help me by helping me make a bunch of money. And Coach Cal was the first coach to be like, I'm with that. Let's do this. Let's go get you paid. I love it. And all you high and mighty college basketballers, your coach does it too. Coach K came around a lot sooner than a lot sooner than a lot of y'all realized. But look at Karan Butler. <laughs> all I'm saying is that I'm glad that the reward for Cal is the success he has, but the reward for the kids is the success they have. He understands the symbiotic relationship between talent and coaching. And I applaud him for that, and I always will. Mike, what happened to UConn? These women aren't be playing basketball right now? What's going on? Someone, not a player, but I guess someone associated with the team came in contact, so now they're quarantining for 14 days. You know, when the best team or biggest team in your sport has to sit out, maybe you should think about things a little bit. Now, the thing about it is college football is a bad idea. It's a horrible idea. College basketball trying this when cases are spiking. People are leaving campuses not to return. We'll see how many people go back after Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. A lot of closed campuses. And we're being told to stay away from each other. And they're doing these enclosed buildings with circulating air. And presumably fans, if the state or city or jurisdiction allows it, correct? Yep. I repeat my complaint about college football. Who runs college basketball? I'll wait. Don't say it. Dean Smith's dead. Think of someone else. Exactly. There's no one in charge. There's no one to be held accountable. So it's hard to diffuse your rage across each bad actor. So you just pump their hands like, ah, fuck it, they tried. No, you're allowed to be angry at the fact that they are failing these children every turn. It's a failure. So that some booster can feel good about his donation or that you fulfill your contractual obligation so that you can get the money to do it all over again with a new group of kids who don't know your game. You know, you never see Mike. No, you, I take it that Danny Cannell exists. You rarely see the ex-college athlete who says everything's done the right way, nothing should change. Huh. Isn't that wild? You never hear NBA players being like, "Here's what's structured wrong with our league." The college players say that shit all the time. NFL players say that shit too. You don't hear about the NBA. Isn't that crazy? Hmm. Look, man, I'm not saying that they can't do college basketball. I am saying that trying's a bad idea. 
they've already got plans in place for March Madness, but it feels to me like they've got no plan to get there. And when Rick Patino, I'll have sex with you on this table, is the man with the smartest take on this. I've got a question, everyone. You know what he said this week? He said, you started in March, you do May Madness, you do tournaments for each conference, you play in games, you go do May Madness that way. Rick Patino, Tricky Ricky, yeah. the summer of Rick. <laughs> All the jokes. You wrap up, NBA playoffs kick off right at your tail end. Let's go. Let's go. But no, you're in a hurry to get people killed over some money. Lastly, Mike, on Thursday, there will be, uh, or excuse me, on Sunday night, ESPN will be airing a Tiger Woods one-hour documentary called Undefeated. It's Undefeated. It is Tiger Woods America's, look at the name of it out here, America's Son. It is a uh, exploring how Woods' historic win at the Masters in 97, becoming the first African-American, I'm reading that copy, African-American golfer to win a major tournament, influenced perceptions of golfer of the golfer across racial and ethnic lines. I saw the preview for it, and there's a lot of the cabination bullshit and his mom being like, we're Americans. But I also remember the clips of him as a child being like, oh, if you go in one major, what would it be? The Masters, because I know they don't want me there. So the fact that they're giving me the mom and the cabination stuff in the preview, and it's done by the undefeated, which if you don't know is the black people vertical at ESPN, it gives me hope that we might get some fucking tiger out of this motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? I certainly hope so. That would be uh, a lot more compelling than more of the same. Yeah. It says, the network says the documentary will use rarely seen footage from Woods' early career and life, including interviews of a young tiger and his parents. Additional interviews come from the likes of Lee Elder, Woods' mm. former coach, Butch Harmon, and Paul Azinger. Um yeah, this is going to be interesting. It's got debuting Sunday, November 29th at 7 p.m. on ESPN and the ESPN app. There's a longer documentary coming out, a two-parter on Tiger Woods in 2021. But this is the one I'm here for because just just from – and I know it's dangerous for him because when, every time they remember he's black, they get mad at him about something. But I, that clip – it's on my Instagram right now. I forget where, how far back I posted it, but it's him saying – I want to win the Masters because they don't want me there. And it's powerful, and it's and it's not the Tiger we've grown to know and publicly acknowledge in the last 20 years, 30 years. Oh, my God, 30 years. Ugh. Ugh. We're old. Um, yeah. It just really – it hits, and I'm happy about it, and I hope that I my, uh, my faith in it is, is rewarded. Will you be watching on Sunday? Because – Otherwise, you've got to watch that uh, Packers-Bears game. <laughs> well, I mean, the choice is obvious. <laughs> Mike, thank you very much for coming on. Right ahead of Turkey Day, man. Um, I do appreciate you coming on. Have a great Thanksgiving. Do you have any parting words, anything you want to say on the way out the door? Uh, stay safe, please, everybody. <laughs> Seriously, listen to this at home. Don't listen to it in your car. And please don't listen to it in the airport. If you're in the airport, like, go home. Reconsidership, please. You, you've you been waiting your entire life for a reason to not see your family on Thanksgiving. like, And you spit in this reason's face? How dare you? Not me, Mama. I love you. I'm, I'm sorry I can't be there. 
All right, guys, that was your show. There is no outro. See you guys next week.